Oh, thank goodness it's you. How in thunder did you get in here? The plows come early to the field. Well, you had better march straight back out the way you came. I can't bring Timothy out. The chill in the air will kill him. That's another matter. That doesn't explain what you're doing here. And that here. big rat chased me away. But I must see Nicodemus. The owl told me to see Nicodemus. Oh, well, yes, perhaps you should... You should owl? You say you saw the owl? Yes. And he said I should ask for Nicodemus. Uh, yes, I, I know Nicodemus. He lives with the rats. More specifically, he's the leader of the rats. You know him? No one has ever seen the owl and lived to tell about it. Please, could you take me to see Nicodemus? Uh, well, uh, uh, yes, yes. But for your sake, I hope you're telling the truth. Well, come on! Jonathan, your wife has come at last. Perhaps now I can repay you for your kindness to me. Yet Mrs. Brisby will serve the rats of Nim far more than we her. exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And y'all, he was here, but he said something about needing to collect more string. I'm sure he'll be back. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into our current series voted on by our patrons. Thank you, patrons. You too can join them and vote on what we are covering this year. This particular series is featuring animated fare not fit for Saturday mornings. That's right, welcome to Scare Tunes, a series highlighting animated material of a horror nature. Last week, we hung out with guest Vera Gowdy and our other parents in the stop-motion extravaganza Coraline. This week, we'll visit the Brisby family in the Don Bluth-produced Secret of Nim. Additionally, we'll be tracking a TV guidepost of Netflix's Castlevania in, oh, by the way, our patron-only segment, Come Join Us. Helping us move our home today are friends of the fog and regular guests, Asia, I'm going to get it wrong, but going for it anyway, Schwartz and Truber, and Jackson, even his mustache loves Nick Cage, Harper. <laughs> Jackson and Asia, welcome to the show, friends. Oh my gosh, Woo! you got it perfect. 
Well, good, good. I, I was hopeful, <laughs> but I, at this point, I just don't even know anymore. So I just just risk Hope, it. Risk it all. and accurate. Thank you. That's how I try to be. If if you're going to err on one, though, be hopeful. Um, uh, Jackson and Asia, if you'll do me a favor, start stomping the ground. See if you can let Reed know we're starting while I remind listeners, lest they've forgotten, that here at The Fear of God, we explore, we do not explain. Except for right now, when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com, such as how to support us on Patreon, as well as essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise. Read Lucky! You're here! I am spun up right now, Read Lucky. Oh my gosh. Reed, we got some friends, buddy. Hey, oh my gosh, Jackson, Asia, it's so good to see you both. I'm so glad Howdy. you're here. Hi. Hey, excuse me, pardon me. For a brief moment when you said, hey, the way you said it, it reminded me of Fred Willard. Hey, what happened? <laughs> what <Pick> happened? <laughs> From oh um, A Mighty Wind. A Mighty, a mighty wind, wind is I coming. Oh, um, I want to hit movie. some. It is. It is. I just rewatched. Um, uh, I watched all of Shit's Creek with the 13 year old, and then I showed her mm-hmm. um, Best in Show, and that was grand fun. Um, yeah. <sighs> we want to hit some business time real quick. I'm going to I'm going to hit on this. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you loved the Foggies last a couple months ago, whenever that happened. Um, it is it is in the DNA. Now we are going to be the source for uh horror movie awards yes i'm naming it and i'm claiming <laughs> wow. it. uh okay so now on the website no longer when you go there is it a dead survey when you click on the word foggies no friends i'm not that inattentive to the goings on on our website uh now when you click on foggies there is a foggies suggestion box you can go <laughs> to the website thefearofgodpodcast.com click on foggies as you are watching stuff during the year of a horror variety and you think oh this is a really good uh, jump scare. Come submit it for the jump scare category for the Foggies. That way, at the end of the year, you aren't racking your brain and your letterbox list to figure out, well, what did I watch this year and what might be submitted? Come submit it now as we go. We will we will um, aggregate these as we go through the year. If you have a category not there already, feel free to submit that as well. We are going to blaze a trail with the Foggies. We want you on board and now have the means for you to suggest things as you see them and not wait till the end. That's my business point, Reed. What about you? What you got? All right. I'm going to clip through this right away. We've been promoting the Quarterly King coming up. Uh, Firestarter, okay, is going to be this next installment in our ongoing Quarterly King series. You definitely want to read the book if you want to prep for it. Uh, You probably want to also watch the 1984 movie, I think, starring Drew Barrymore and George C. Scott and Martin Sheen and a few others. Um, So you want to watch that movie. And we are releasing it sometime. Like We'll give people a chance to see it. So maybe a couple of weeks after the release of the new Firestarter, which launches in theaters and I think, I think day and date on the Peacock streaming service uh, on May 13th. So uh, Firestarter is our next Quarterly King. If you are not already reading the book and want to beforehand, you only have a few weeks left. So there you go. Um, thank you, Reed, for that. Before our final business 
time here, just saying the word peacock makes me laugh because it makes me think of 30 Rock, the show 30 Rock. No, I'm not making a dirty joke here. Uh, the show 30 Rock, Tracy Morgan. Um, you know, 30 Rock was heavily because it was produced and released by NBC. NBC plays pretty heavily into it. And there's this great gag in one of the early seasons where they're trying to get Tracy Morgan's character, Tracy Jordan, to do a promotional spot. But he keeps screwing up. And the the line he's supposed to say for this NBC commercial is, I'm proud as a peacock, baby. But what mm-hmm. comes out is, I'm proud as a peacock, baby. And it's <laughs> hysterical. So anytime anyone says the word peacock, I think, I'm proud as a peacock. Speaking of peacocks, wow. join Patreon. Come have fun <laughs> with us. Come hang out. <laughs> you can tell. I'm in the zone. I'm podcasting tonight. Um, <laughs> I got to do it. Jeremy. I'm going to start. We- I got to do it. I'm going to start weeping. <laughs> yes. um, just openly. So, um, <laughs> and would at least let me get through like 30 minutes before that starts. Um, so, uh, uh, Peacocks and Patreon. That's that's the theme of the year. Come join Patreon. If you uh, uh, contribute at the highest level, you get a sweet Jacob Hunt redesigned It's Alive swag shirt. Um, you get to, uh, uh, at the lower two levels, have a participatory role and things like the Foggies which we just talked about, mm-hmm. as well as things like Fogoween, which our two uh, uh, illustrious guests were a part of back in October, whenever that was. Um, oh, come no. be a part, especially this year, because you get to craft the content we are releasing this year, what we're covering, and uh, not only series themselves, but episodes within those series, you get a voice. And isn't that what democracy is for? I don't know if we know that in America anymore, but it is here at the Fear of God. Speaking of Patreon... Let's talk about Castlevania and what we've been watching. About yes. this movie. Yeah. Um Reed, do you want to we didn't discuss amongst us um i mean i i i made a little that ain't right do you want to lead with that do you want to not even bother with an ain't or, or a so i didn't do make a so uh, i didn't make a i feel so. i feel the need um, i'm sorry let me cl- clarify by saying i feel the need to do the didactic now to get it out of the way or not but i'll take i'll follow your lead put, I'm gonna put you on my head pull my hair and just tell me where to go pull the hair <laughs> so i am i am in agreement with you that uh, it, didactic would be good. So here's what I would say. What I would like to actively, if, if we can agree now, we four, what I would actively like to agree with is a general overview of your history and experience of this film. Try to avoid the deeper, richer thematic conversations, except by pointing to them. But that'll at least set the stage for kind of where we stand with the film. And then we can go into that ain't right. And then we can dive into whatever we feel the impulse to dive into. Does that sound good to everybody? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. So I, I, will, I will lead the charge this time. I will go first. Okay. So this film is, uh, as, as, as briefly as I can make it, this film is deeply rooted in my childhood, uh, as is the work writ large of Don Bluth, who directed it. Uh, the 80s output of Don Bluth is so indelible in my mind. My earliest remembered theatrical experience, like sitting in the theater, was The Land Before Time. That's the earliest I... If there was a theatrical film before that, I do not recall it. My earliest theatrical remembered experience was The Land Before Time. 
Uh, but this run, uh, like before that, he directed the short film, The Small One, which yes. played every every Christmas and uh, and just rips the tears from my eyelids. Um, so, but his whole outlook, his whole output in the eighties, the small one, the secret of Nim, the land before time, an American tale, uh, even to a lesser degree, all dogs go to heaven. Like that is really entrenched in my nostalgia, deeply rooted in emotion. Uh, he come, he came from Disney. So he did a little bit of work from Disney and then he bounced out of it. Um, and all I will say with the secret of Nim, which I would absolutely say is probably my favorite of even all the batch that I just mentioned, secret of Nim is at the peak. Um, as I'm sure we will get into, I watched this again, was overcome with how much it still resonated with how much I still loved it. Um, with how everything still landed in a deeply earned profound way that for me was not just rooted in nostalgia, despite how nostalgic this piece and his larger work is. So that was, that was my overlay. Uh, Asia, I'm going to go to you next. What was your experience with this? Um, I could, I could not agree with anything that you said more strongly than I do. Um, although I, I don't have any, uh, theatrical release memories (laughs) with Don Bluth films. Um, I do have, um, just as much of a, um, childhood nostalgia with the Don Bluth collection sort of writ large. Um, my husband and I pulled up sort of his letterboxed list to sort of look at all of it. And I think I had seen like 12 out of 15 <clears throat> of his films, things from obviously the secret of Nim, which I would agree um, ranks at the top troll in central park, all dogs go to heaven. You know, all of the things that you, that you had said, rock a doodle. Oh my gosh. That was <laughs> a good one for me. Oh, yeah. um, but I, uh, I echo what you had said that the secret of Nim was Always my favorite. I, I had forgotten until this viewing, because it's been quite a number of years for me since I, I have visited this film. I had forgotten how often I used to watch this movie. And I, and we never owned it in my family. This was a movie that as a kid, I had to very consciously go to, you know, the family video on Friday night movie night and rent it, which I did week after week after week after week for a period of time because I was just enamored with this film. And mm. I I honestly don't know if really digging back into the trenches of my childhood, if I can pick a work that aesthetically and sort of archetypally shaped my imagination more than this film did. Mm. There is wow. so much um, that this film did to shape what I believe about the way story is told, the way that I think visuals um, affect a scene, and also lended itself to making me love creepier elements of the fantasy genre, because Nicodemus, although, you know, a good guy, is creepy AF. Very creepy, (laughs) yes. No doubt. No doubt at all. No, I I absolutely love that. Um, Jackson, what's your what's your prior history to Secret of Nim? Yeah, well, so I was a kid in the eighties too, and mm-hmm. I also remember having an early theatrical experience of going to see The Land Before Time, and I specifically mm-hmm. remember it because 
My parents picked me up from school. We went to see the movie and I was dazzled by it and they hated it. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Reason, oh, wow. They hated wow. it. I don't know. I think I think that one was a little bit too mystical for them or whatever. And um, hmm. but the one that I used to watch all the time as a kid was an American tale. Yeah. And uh, that's the one I used to binge over and over and over again. And uh, part sure. of that was my grandfather loved the song somewhere out there and was always trying to get me to sing it for him. And, um, but Nim was one, I remember we used to have all these movies that we had taped off of cable. Mm-hmm. I don't know who taped them or why I certainly didn't do it. I was a child. Uh, but I remember finding this one on one of those tapes and I saw it. I saw it after I saw land before time or American tale. And I remember being very drawn to it because this one was the one that was a little bit dangerous, you know, Mm, like mm. there was, there was, it it was the early horror fan in me, you know, it was, it just appealed to, I loved how dark it was. I loved that, you know, it was a kid's movie where a character says, damn, you know, (laughs) right. So scandalous. So scandalous. <laughs> so, yeah, there was something about it that just drew me in and I've never been able to shake it. And when y'all put, uh, you know, the nominees for for the movies that were going to be in this series, I immediately texted y'all and was like, yeah, if you talk about Secret of Nim, I must be there for this. <laughs> it was great. The enthusiasm so, yeah. was so great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Nathan, my friend, what is uh, what is your history prior to this with Secret of Nim? Uh, I'll be relatively brief, though. I do love the notion that we all have those like that first movie that had a cuss word in it. And the one I remember most distinctly was, I think, the Transformers animated film, but also (laughs) specifically Ninja Turtles, the first film uh, when Raphael says, damn it, or damn, or whatever he says. He he yells it three times in like the first 10 minutes. He does. He yells it to the city. (laughs) bossa nova um uh i'll be brief with this i i remember watching land before time american tales uh or or, let me rephrase that um those were present in the lexicon of our uh uh, movie watching as we lads um i don't i don't recall having seen nim i knew i had um Hmm. I, i think also too um, Jackson, I don't know your precise age, Reed. I know yours, and th- this will at least resonate, you know, early 80s ish. I mean, still today, so I, I shouldn't pretend otherwise. I don't even My have kids. an age. Yeah, you don't. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm a you're, fetus. You're timeless. Right. Okay. You're timeless. <laughs> no. <laughs> the things you don't mean to convey when you're just trying to say things. Um, uh, but even my kids have these now, but these film adaptations of books, you know, just little kids storybooks. Mm-hmm. And so I think no. there's a chance there was an, one of those of this film in the house. Yep. Um, so really it was more just kind of sense memory, you know, just, just mm. imagery and visuals that I would not have been able to tell you how they organized or sequenced into a narrative story. Um, so that sure. when I did sit back down to rewatch it, I'm like, I know these images. I, mm-hmm. I, I but in in a lot of ways, they were still pretty fresh. Uh, just three nights ago, oh, wow. when I watched this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's kind of exciting because I'm excited to hear, as somebody again, you know, taking all that you said into account, that yes, possible previous experience, but 
largely fresh, this viewing. I'm very curious to see like what mm-hmm. your response was to certain things and what your takeaways were to certain things. Because that is one thing that I feel like for myself, I'm always up against is when something lands as this film did, when something lands really hard, I'm always like, did it? Did it take it over the edge because I already came front loaded with a tremendous amount of affection and memory and everything? Or did it land because the merits of the film, 40 years on, by the way, I didn't realize this right now, 40th anniversary of the yeah. film this year that we're recording. Um, so, or, or did it, you know, is, is the film doing that on the merits and, and it is, is actually that effective or not? So I'm very curious when we get into that. Um, that said, knowing kind of where everybody stands with it, Y'all want to do a little bit of That Ain't Right? Sure. Yeah. All right. Take it away, Andrew. That sure as hell ain't right. All right. So... That Ain't Right for The Secret of Nim, directed by Don Bluth. Okay, I keep bouncing back and forth between whether I go to uh, Jackson first or... I almost said Jasia. I almost did that. (laughs) Whether I go to Jackson first or whether I go to Asian first. So, um, Okay, so I'm going to go to Jackson first this time. All right, Jackson, what's your That Ain't Right? There's a lot to choose from, but I'm going to go with the silly one because I, I, I have to. (laughs) <laughs> Jenner's eyebrows ain't right. <laughs> there are some impressive eyebrows in this mm. movie. Yeah, but his are seemingly independent from the rest of his head. <laughs> like sometimes they lift they really up float. on. Yeah, they do. Sometimes they lift up in the middle and they're detached, and sometimes they lift up from either end and they're detached. That's I'm like, hysterical. Yeah, they're not attached to his head at all. They're just. I don't know. There, it's. I mean, I know that the rats have some sort of like magic going on, but that one, I, I can't, I can't reckon with it. It ain't right. There's something that just ain't right about it. I agree. That's agreed. all I have to say. It's deeply <laughs> upsetting. <right>. Okay. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Okay. Coming to you next, Asia. What ain't right? There's a lot of things that are just surprisingly. Mm-hmm. creepy about this movie for a kid's things uh for a kid's thing um mm-hmm. i have i'll i have one big one and then i'll tack on a little one i would say the major that ain't right for me is um when the cinder block has fallen and starts sinking mm. into mm. the ground obvi- you and you are watching the children have to climb up on the furniture as the mud is just flooding into their home and oh my god there the there's a you're watching the you know the littlest one fall off the table and she's trying to you know breathe as mud is getting all over them and then there's the moment specifically where the cinder block just completely submerges and you know that the kids are just trapped under the mud that like is so harrowing as it very just skillfully cuts between the children, you know, fighting for their lives and then everyone outside the cinder block trying to get it to stop sinking. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that that to me, I would say, is the biggest, I would say, most weighty that ain't right moment for me. Um, yeah. The other yeah. the other little tag on for me is Nicodemus's hands. Ooh, <laughs> oh that's, man, that's legit. <laughs> Just, yeah, they're so, so little, gnarly. Yeah, they're gnarly, spindly and nailly, mm. warty, just yeah. But I and like it's it. The like, first thing you see in the movie too. Oh, so awesome. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. It really that opening scene tone. is so great. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So real and quick, it's Derek I'm Jacoby go- too. So. Yeah. Oh, I love Derek. Isn't Jacobi. he amazing? He's, oh, he's so great. Yeah. Yeah, Claude, thank you. Thank you mentioning I Claudius. I that is my favorite. <laughs> one of my favorite. Well, actually, works. I'm mentioning. Claudius, he is Hamlet's uncle Claudius in Kenneth Branagh's. Oh, that's production. true. He is. Yeah, yeah, he is. yeah. I have he seen that. Yeah. I was referencing and the seventies I Claudius yes. miniseries, which yeah. is like one of the best things also, ever done can I just, ever. One more thing about Derek Jacoby. He's one of like the Shakespeare truthers that doesn't believe yeah. that Shakespeare was a real person. Interesting. Oh, what? So no, when no, he no. shows up in yes. Shakespeare stuff, cool. it's really fun to is know it funny? He's yeah. Yeah. And yeah. not for nothing, uh, fear of God canon reference. He's Frankie from Dead Again. Um, yep. So, but um, like real quick before kit. I go to, <laughs> um, before we go to Nathan for his that ain't right. I want to m- piggybacking off of what Asia mentioned about the 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 end, and I just want to I reference this in the patron segment very briefly. But I just want to spend thirty seconds in praise of plotting because I feel like. It is not an easy, maybe this is just the writer's sensibility in me. It's not an easy thing to do to naturally build escalation points in climactic mm-hmm. scenes. But this film does it. Like, first of all, you have the threat against Nicodemus when they're trying to move the thing, and you have what Jenner is trying to do. And then he succeeds. So you have this whole tragic thing happen. So that that already raises the stakes. And then right after that, you have his plot uncovered when Brisby then comes to say like, okay, the Nim is coming. Nim is coming. Okay, so that raises it up. And then you have the Justin and Jenner fight sequence. And I'm already like, oh man, they ramped it up again. And then after that is done and Jenner is freaking dead, by the way, not just falling off a cliff to his death, he has been stabbed and knife thrown into the... That's gnarly for a kid's movie. You raised it there, and then you get to the moment that Asia just read. After all of that, then the cinder block starts to sink. And I'm just sitting here, as I was watching it this week, I was like, that is such deft plotting to naturally progress the stakes to a place to where you keep things invested. So many times, climactic scenes can feel like they're just throwing everything at the wall to see what Mm -hmm. sticks. But this is such a natural escalation of things that it's super applause worthy. So I just had to yes and that moment because I think that's it, so rare to find It that. trusts that the kids will be able to keep up. Um, mm-hmm. which, Kid viewers. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, right, right. Well, yes and no because I, here's the thing. I told him I was going to say this. So he knew this was coming. I love my husband with my whole heart. But. I did everything humanly possible to make this a distraction-free viewing for him because he had never seen this before and I wanted him to like love it. He did not catch most of the plot points. Wow. So like 15 minutes after Nicodemus had died, J Mark was like, "Wait, he's dead?" 
<laughs> when did this happen? Like you was like, it. <laughs> he's like, Nim, like, did they? They didn't say what Nim means. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm so. Oh my so, gosh! Wow. That, it's, uh, so when I say the kids, I mean the kids. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the adults have failed me. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, Nathan, what is your that ain't right? Um, and then I'll go last. Gosh. That's too much. Uh, it's funny you describe that story, Asia, because perhaps I'll come back to it because something that is, is resonating in me kind of echoes in what you just said. Um, my only that ain't right I really wrote down is um, the spider in the great owl's Ooh. lair. Um, oh, man. Which that whole sequence had very Frodo Shelob vibes to me. Yeah, so that yes. already was hitting those, uh, you know, hitting those notes um but just that it's there at all uh and mm-hmm. then that it's squished by the owl who is itself formidably you know um the head threatening um yeah specifically the one i wrote down was the spider in the great owl's lair followed by just the great owl uh, mm-hmm. Side note: The love of my life also thought that the great owl and Nicodemus were the same character for like thirty minutes. <laughs> so, well, they no. both have the glowing I've eyes. Gotta come back. Two I've got to come back to what you're saying. It's true. They both have the they both have the eyebrows and the glowing eyes because mm-hmm. apparently that's a rite of passage in this world. But wow! I, yeah. And I I but told you- him I'd be saying it. He knows. He's fine. But you, but you have legendary Shakespearean, though not believer in Shakespeare, uh, actor Jared Jacoby, and then you also have. So I think um, you mean Fakespearean, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I like what you did there. And then, but then you have legendary actor John Carradine uh, as the Great mm-hmm. Owl. So, like, yeah, which it's, uh, uh, trivial bit. Uh, huh? Apparently, when he came in to record his lines, he had severe arthritis in his hands. And they use oh. that as the inspiration for the owl's claws. Wow. How, wow. how gnarled they That's are. Fascinating. And he also walked with a limp, which the owl walks with a limp when it's oh, leaving the, walks with the, the tree. Wow. So, yeah, they took those oh, little visual details from John Carradine and incorporated it into the character. Wow, that's really yeah. cool. That's really cool. Um, so I'll I'll end with mine. Actually, thank you. You guys took a couple off the table for me. Um, I thought about mentioning the owl scene. I thought about mentioning the climactic scene. Um, I'm just going to say the history of Nim. So mm. that sequence when they reveal what the secret of Nim is and what they have what they have done. That whole extrapolated sequence is, is, is at times nightmare fuel. Uh, yeah. it's it's rough to think about as an actual concept that would actually transpire in the real world and it's dreadful to watch in the sequencing that they do it is it is it is very dark it's very dark mm-hmm. um even just the simple imagery and it's it's brutal but even just the simple imagery of uh the 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 nim representative injecting the rat in the belly like yes. it just it really Really kind of graphic in its way, even though you don't mm-hmm. see any blood or anything. But then the rat's convulsions oh, because of what they've yeah. done. It's brutal, just yeah, it's brutal. It's, that whole that whole thing just that that just it ain't right. It ain't right. Um we we good with that or what's Well, I just I was gonna yes and you. Like I think yeah. that was the sequence when I was a kid when I talked about how I always saw this movie as being a little bit dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. I think of. The, the first shot I think of when I think of this movie is that rat getting injected in the stomach. Oh my God. Yeah. But then also that sequence, what's so right about that sequence 
we're not doing that. But what's so right mm-hmm. is it's so chilling when Nicodemus says, I looked at the words on the cage oh. and I understood them. Oh. That's a killer script line. <laughs> That's so a killer, killer script line. So oh, right. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, no, I absolutely agree. That scene of the rat responding to having been injected and like holding his stomach and, and mm. like being so visibly in pain, that would have been my that I, right when I was a kid. Um, mm. I, I re- Jackson, I echo that sequence as a child was the most disturbing to me for sure. Really jarring. Yeah, it's really very jarring. Um, yeah, so surprising amount of that ain't rights in, uh, in, <laughs> in this film. Um, so uh, Andrew, take us out and then let's let's get into it. That sure as hell ain't right. I don't even Would, know where to start. I, I I'm going to I'm going to be <laughs> selfish it. here for a second. Do, so yeah, so deepest apologies. We all uh, it sounds like we're very impacted, whether as youths or as adults, by this. And I know as host that it's always a bit rude to stomp on your guests' capacity to. Uh, uh, spike spark conversation. Uh, but I I just feel a heaviness that not a bad heaviness either, but a desire to sort of pour forth a bit. So, um, I like I said I I have vague memory of the imagery of this film, and part of the experience this time around is best illustrated by how I viewed it. And you're gonna laugh, but and that's okay. Uh, but it. But as I've reflected on it, um, I wonder if this had an impact. So uh, this this pair of films we've just now covered, Coraline and then this. I've seen Coraline plenty of times. I roughly knew its major beats. Um, so I, I uh, waited on that one. Um, so watched Nim first. And I reference this all the time. It's read my, my dearest of friends. Uh, it's lucky on your part that I don't fall asleep on you during recording. Um, so, so I recognize that. Well, uh, today is Wednesday on, I think Saturday I started NIM and I got about 45 minutes into it and just, I couldn't, I couldn't stay awake and I was like, okay, well, this was not the plan. I really needed to kind of plow through this. Uh, but I didn't do it. Um, so the, the humorous part is with both this and Coraline, I had to split them into two viewings because I, I could <laughs> like, dead gum, Rouse. You the movie's are, like you 70 minutes up. long. Well, right, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, like I know, 82. However, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah, guys, you get the joke. Um, and, <laughs> but what is pretty interesting to me about that is I think there's a world where because I, I, kind of stopped engaging on it on a conscious level that it had this subconscious effect mm. on my apprehension of it. I took pretty minimal notes hmm. and, and so, so, so that was the experience, the, the, the actual experience of watching the film, but the experience of reflecting on it and uh, marinating in it and meditating on it have been far even more uh, uh, rich. And, so I'm just going to throw some puzzle pieces out there and um, it may exhaust me and then y'all can just pick up the puzzle pieces or or add your own to the picture. Um, so the two major two major elements, two major strains of this that that won't let me rest. Uh, and one is because I didn't remember 
the beats of the film, the story, because this viewing happens over two, two sittings wherein partially my subconscious and conscious brain are, are experiencing things and it's seeping in in different ways than it might otherwise. I was so moved by this read. You and I talk about this and it's come up relatively a lot recently, this idea of discovery and the sense that, uh, that can begin to encroach upon an adult experience, which is, well, son of a bee, there's just nothing. What, what else, what is left to quote unquote discover. And I can't convey how moving it was to get low and go adjacent and see in these tiny creatures, a fantasy world mm. open up of mm. their experience. And it, it, it deeply arrested my spirit to, to engage in that way, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not just because, na- you know, anthropomorphic animals are as, are as, uh, forgive the animated pun, a tale as old as time. And so <laughs> we, that as a conceit is nothing strange or foreign to us truly in cinema. But when you imbue their very existence with richness and depth and fantasy and purpose and meaning and power, that is rich. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and heavy and weighty and uh, just the gravity of it really spoke to my spirit that 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 really the humans of this narrative are the are the the robots the the mm-hmm. the unplugged the non mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, the non supernatural yeah the props, props. and, and so, yeah. so so that so so that's a, a major element um the other major element, and I say this as a heterosexual cisgender dude, was the feminine, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. maternal, the uh, when 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 she is holding the amulet and that that imagery, the the animation in this is so breathtaking, mm-hmm. and uh, what it called to mind was um, when. Uh, Jesus references himself, how I've longed to gather my children like a mother hen under her wings. Mm. Because so often we want to genderize God and, and, and he won't let us do that. She won't let us do that. Mm-hmm. And so this, this, these ideas of femininity and maternity and expression and care, compassion, love, whatnot have really been stewing in me. And I, I, uh, at risk of just at risk of tractoring over the habitat here. And I understand that tonight, tonight at dinner, I did not know this would get woven in um, our 11 year olds, you know, presumably parroting uh, talking points. She might be hearing amongst her peers. It is not my interest to get didactic on this, but she just said, uh, uh, as curious children might of people who hopefully she trusts, she said, do we respect abortion? And it was such a beautiful phrase, mm. like respect, you know, but it led this family into this conversation about care and concern and uh, decision-making is kind of the wrong word, but, but um, guidance, right? Mm. Um mm the capacity to choose and love certain paths. Right. And mm. so 
I, I, I got to a point with them. And it's funny, y'all read for 20 years, Asia and Jackson, a couple now you've, you've listened to me enough to know that it takes a lot for me to bite my tongue. (laughs) And, but I, but I kind of forced myself because I can, as a parent, be far more, mm, apologies to read for how much he's had to endure this over the years, <laughs> chatty and talky than probably should be more listeny and, and heary, right? And so I'm just trying so hard to let them feel their way through these questions. And my mm. wife is doing just a, a hell of a job being a mother. And, um, but there came a point where I just kind of couldn't not interject. And, and again, forgive if this is going in all sorts of ways unanticipated, but I said, here's the thing, y'all, all I care about is that you keep learning and you keep asking questions mm-hmm. uh, in our home. Always be reading is a phrase. Um, always read, always learn, keep asking questions. And I said, I am surrounded by you women and, and it is on me to teach myself, right. To, to understand, to comprehend. Um, and so it, it was just this really kind of beautiful conversation that we don't get the opportunity to have a whole lot. And I know my poor 11 year old was like, you can bleep it. Holy, I did not know this is what I was getting when I asked this question. Um, but, but, but remarkably just watching this, uh, scene play out before me. It was like watching Mrs. Brisby hold up this amulet, mm-hmm. radiating this power and, and, and settling all in the name of caring for, right? Mm-hmm. So again, my, my, my deep apologies if you're like, oh my God, really didn't know. But this, the, the subconscious way this movie attached itself to me and even things like y'all, the vocal performance, Elizabeth Bateman, is that her name? I wrote it down. Yeah. Elizabeth Hartman. Yeah. Elizabeth Hartman. Elizabeth Hartman. Even the, yeah. the vocal performance. I rewatched before we recorded tonight. Uh, listener, if you sense me quiet on Coraline, it's because my spirit is churning on them because I knew <laughs> we were talking about it. And, but I rewatched that scene, the amulet scene and, and just mm-hmm. all that kind of leads up to it. And just her vocal performance is so beautiful and powerful and raw and vulnerable. And so my final note for me right now, as you, you all respond or don't is what I was so struck with about this film and what it is so instructed me on is the tenderness. It is a very tender movie despite remarkably its gnarly elements, its violent elements, the heart of it, which is courage, femininity expressed through Mrs. Brisby and how we can all partake and participate and exemplify what she exemplifies is tenderness. Like that is the heart. And that really clearly bowled me over in a pretty staggering way. So I don't have like a perfect button to end this on other than just that is what I've been sitting in mm. for a few days now. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have a very almost superficial observation to make. And then I want to yield to, to Asia and Jackson before I dive into something. But one of the things, first of all, thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. your heart on all of that. One of the things that I would add on for myself that I would applaud about the way the film champions and embraces and and elevates femininity is the fact that the narrative and in the dialogue does not 
feel the need to constantly make us aware that she's a woman. Like when mm. they, she um, proceeds to when the plow is coming, th- there's there's no hesitation. I've got to stop that thing. Mm-hmm. And and so then she just goes and and her plan is not oh let me gather everybody and get them out. Her plan is I'm going to take down the tractor. Yeah. And so she then she just goes and does it. And then even as she's progressing through and trying to make her way, go to face the owl, make her way to Nim, all that kind of stuff. The film, I do think the characters dismiss her, like they're like oh you whatever whatever go away. But I appreciated that the film does not, it didn't feel like it was trying too hard about this because the fact is Mrs. Brisby is simply a person of, uh, well, a person, she's a, a mouse, <laughs> but she, she's a character of boundless courage. And I love that to me, the film never hung a lantern on, look at that, and she's a woman too. Mm-hmm. Like, it never did that. It was just, she is a person of boundless courage who also happens to be this mother. Well, and it, so I, I just appreciate I do think, as one last note, I'm sorry, uh, but I don't, uh, It's it doesn't matter ultimately. I don't see that. I do think okay. it's very intentional about her, her femininity and that being, again, I'm not saying it, it's an identity politics. That's I'm not saying that whatsoever, but I think that's what's instructive to me personally. Uh, one last note in Asia, over to you. I, one thing I absolutely adore about the, the the design here is her cape. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love that mm-hmm. this this hero, right? She has her her thing that that exemplifies her visually for us as our hero. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what were you going to say, Asia? Reed, I I think that the film takes for granted, and I mean that in a good way. Mm-hmm. It takes for granted that her motherhood is what all of her courage hangs on, Mm. you know? Mm. I don't know that, I think one of the ways the film was so effortlessly able to have that centrance, that centrality, I should say, on the femininity, I would say that her motherhood because it is her it is her children's well-being that propels her to do everything that's what mm-hmm. causes her to stop the plow and i think that it just sort of the film i think rightly so assumes that like this mm. is intrinsically part of who she is as a mother and therefore of course this is the type of courage that she is going to reach for even mm-hmm. if trembling while doing so mm-hmm. it just yeah. assumes yeah. Of course, that that is the the assumption that the entire film is based on. Mm-hmm. Um, um, is it all right if I sort of oh, please whirlwind keep, myself yes, around? Yeah, go ahead. Thoughts, um, Nathan. I was most definitely tearing up a little while you were talking because um, there's so much of what you said that um, resonates with me too. Um, this is a film that. Obviously, I loved it as a child in a lot of ways. Um, and those same reasons really circle around me while I watch it now, but there's also a completely different weight that I feel to it now, um, given some of the more immediate circumstances of my life. Um, um, the circumstances around my most recent surgery being, um, 
involving, we'll say involving questions as to whether or not I can have children. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you all know, you know, stories like <laughs> Rosemary's Baby and things like that are very important <laughs> to me. And there's always sort of been this um, motherly archetype, which I think is perfectly embodied in this film that has always meant a great deal to me. And I think that Mrs. Brisby as a child was a, a figure that I um, deeply, deeply sort of emotionally reached for. Mm. Um, and the relief that I felt, and this is sort of maybe involving my own personal life scenarios in my viewing of it too much, but the relief that I felt coming out of my, what it feels like a very long time of medical testing, um, telling me that it is most probable that I could be a mother at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in that recovery process, watching this film, mm-hmm. it was such a balm to return to a motherly figure that I really, really looked up to when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the themes in my life, having an anxiety disorder is finding a path to courage. And I've said, I've used those words before on other episodes, finding that path to courage. And one of the things that I've wanted most in my life is to be a mother, but it's also one of the things I've been most afraid of because I'm, I've been afraid that I'll screw up. And this film is almost Campbellian in its sort of presentation of a very, very literal hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And to have the hero in that stereotypical hero's journey that is usually a young man, to have it be a young widowed mother (laughs) really truly just spoke to me to watch that rise to courage in such Mm. a beautifully categorized I, I say categorized but I, what, I, what i'm trying to say is archetypal but i just don't want to say that word a million times sure mm-hmm. um i don't know how to describe how beautiful it was i don't know how to describe how healing this viewing experience was for me i'm mm-hmm. just incredibly grateful that it happened now when it did for mm-hmm. me yeah mm-hmm. that's lovely no that's very mm-hmm. lovely um Jackson, uh, I, yeah. I have some thoughts, but I want to yield first to because I know you came. You you said, "Hey, if we talk about Nim, it, it's yeah. got to be. I got to be. I got to be part of that." So, what you got? Uh, I, so, the the line that I latched onto that I texted you about actually, yeah, we talked about. Yeah. We referenced it earlier. Courage of the heart is very rare, and so when I was watching it this most recent time, I was like. What is courage of the heart? What does that really look like in the real world? Mm. And what I landed on was my mother. Mm. I talked about my dad on here. So I want to just take a minute and talk about my mother. Yeah. She's 68 years old. She's, she lives every day in pain. She's had two hip replacements you know, it's hard for her 
to get up and get around. And yet she does it every day. She does so much stuff. She is constantly involved in the lives of the people around her and even me. Like I live far away. She calls me all the time. She, she's somebody that's so full of love. Sometimes it's a little bit annoying, you know? And uh, to make a problematic reference, like I realized uh, a couple of years ago, my mom is Molly Weasley. (laughs) That's exactly her. That is her. You know, you walk into her house and she's like, do you want something to eat? She asks you a million questions. And what if that's what courage is? It's just like being someone who in the, in the grand scheme of the epic nature of the universe, like this is one small person Mm. who does everything she possibly can to put love and goodness into the world. Yeah. And maybe that's what courage is. You know, it doesn't mean you have to go and, you know, uh, go on an epic quest and fulfill some sort of destiny and defeat a villain or whatever. Maybe it's just, you know, my hips hurt, my back hurt. It's hard to get out of bed, but I'm going to do it anyway because I, because I just, I'm so full of that sort of love. Mm. That is who my mother is. That is who Mrs. Brisby is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Look at me. Mm. Now I'm getting choked up. (laughs) (laughs) It's that. So it's um, Jackson. I don't want to interrupt you. If you've got a thought. I don't know that I have that much else to say about it, but I really, and we're recording this just a couple days before mother's day. That's right. Yeah, I told her exactly. I was talking on the phone with her today and I said, you know what? I'm doing the, I'm doing the fear of God tonight and uh, I'm probably going to talk about you. So, <laughs> well, well, if she ends yeah. up listening to this, let me tag on She'll to, listen what to, you, yeah. to what you are <laughs> articulating. Um, a, a quote from the Lord of the Rings. And actually I believe it shows up in the Hobbit. We can't film. get through an episode without you. No. Well, Hey, uh, uh, here, there is water and let's go there. Um, uh, that stays with me a lot. And, and when my head, this is going to be a really funny turn of phrase for someone who has wrestled with big head jokes from jackasses his whole life. When my head gets too big and can't and can't engage the world, this is what grounds my heart, right? My spirit. And it's Gandalf. And he says, it is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay, uh-huh. simple acts of kindness and love. And so I hear your articulation of your mother's impact on you. And that is what comes to mind. And, I, and Rita, I want to pivot to you, but so that it uh, uh, doesn't go without saying to, to you, Jackson. Yes. Uh, Asia, thank you for your vulnerability. Um, this, I know for me personally, this film stirred up a whole heck of a lot in unexpected ways. And this is the nature of beauty and art. Um, two words you described, two words you used in your, um, sharing, uh, Asia were the words effortless and healing. And I think mm. those are easy 
to apply to this film, what it does. It feels like it does effortlessly. And yet, um, that effortlessness is in the service of healing. And I find that very powerful and moving. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, Reed, I cut you off. No, you no, 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 it's fine. Um, so I'm gonna, our horror, any grammarian is present. So I'm sure she'll be rolling her eyes at the <laughs> nineness of what I'm about to do. Um, my, I can't get to what I want to say about the film without uh, clarifying because I feel like I misrepresented earlier based on Nathan's reaction. What I was trying to communicate is that the film does not pander. The film does not mm-hmm. pander to her femininity is what I was mm-hmm. trying to oh, mm-hmm. communicate. Not, okay, right. not, yeah, not that it it is not vital that she is a woman. I do feel it's vital that she's a woman. I don't feel like that vitality is pandering or reductive in the way that it expresses it, which I clearly Uh did a clumsy job expressing earlier, but that's what I was trying to say. So now that that's out of the way, um, I just, now I just feel bad that I've accidentally (laughs) put a splinter in your brain for 30 minutes. No, it's it's okay. That's I'm a nine. Anybody listening now knows that's what happens. Oh crap. I've misrepresented myself. That will be my life story for now. The four years of my life after this, Um, or, or were the, were the rest of us listening? (laughs) <laughs> yes, they, they weren't. They weren't listening. Um, so um, so one of the things that stood out to me, I'm going to finish the phrase that Jackson invoked a second ago. And I just want to thank everybody before I even sh- say this one part. It's like clearly this film r- raises up and it invokes something in each of us in different ways. Very personal. Um, Asia applaud you being willing to share your story with us and grateful for it. Nathan, you as well. Jackson so doesn't get more personal than talking about your own mother. Um, The, the finishing statement of the story. And this is, this is where I latched onto Nicodemus says it. Courage of the heart is very rare. And then the next thing on it, he's like the stone has a power when it's there. Uh And I don't mean in what I'm about to say to introduce some formula of catalyst and, and, and like, Oh, well, but what I thought of when I was watching this film and uh, among a myriad of other things where I was just kind of stuck all in the feels is I've often had difficulty wrangling down in a very practical way. What Jesus meant when he told people their faith had saved them. Huh. I've had difficulty wrapping my head and my heart around that when he would communicate that to them. This is Jesus Christ. This is the the son of God. And when a miracle would transform something, he would look at them frequently and say, your faith has saved you. And people get real weird and people get very uh, theologically sort of tied up in knots around all of that. But I felt a tremendous amount of, of echo in hearing the, the concluding half of that, like, courage of the heart is really rare. The stone has a power when it's there. And what I love about the conclusion of that climactic sequence is that when the, the stone does its thing and it ignites, it just ablazes everything, and then what these admittedly brilliant rats of Nim needed an entire contraption to try to accomplish Uh this fragile little woman simply grabs the rope and then it just, and then uh, it's not a literal, but here the echo that the mountain moved like then, then this big cinder block just 
transported. To her, it's a mountain. Yeah, it, exactly. Like it, it completely moved. And we talk about the faith that moves mountains, and we talk about all of these kinds of phrases that can sometimes be almost glibly and casually thrown out, but that that this this presence was there. One of the subtler things that I love is that when it's all over and done with, what are all of these rats of Nim just awestruck by? They're looking at her. Mm-hmm. They're looking. Sh- she's the one they're awestruck by, because yes, mm-hmm. the 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 stone, the magic of it. Sure, that was what it was. But they're looking at her as she just is exhausted. She is completely emptied out from what has just transpired through her mm-hmm. and what has happened, and she just just almost gently like collapses to the ground and they, they are standing there just stunned in awe of what they have just witnessed from this woman. And I've shared with a number of different people over time because people will say, you know, they'll, my friends recently have been talking about different things. It's like, Oh, I'm, I'm scared to take that step. I'm scared to, I'm scared to do this. I'm scared to do that. Like I'm really, I I don't know if everything's going to be okay. I don't know if everything's going to, going to uh, turn out all right for me in this. And uh, it's it's a little pithy, so forgive the pithiness of it. But the very first time I said it was I said it to my son um, when I was trying to, failing most of the time, honestly, but trying to help him deal with his own anxieties and fears is um, he would say, like, I'm just not brave. And I said to him in response to one time where he said, you know, Daddy, I'm just not brave. I said, son, you never get to be brave unless you're terrified. You don't mm-hmm. get to be brave unless you're scared. Unless you are really and truly afraid, the bravery isn't there. So mm-hmm. you are brave when you proceed, when you continue to move forward. Like that that courage, that rising spirit of I'm just um we haven't invoked this film in quite some time, but I'm gonna cite um, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village mm-hmm. where when Joaquin Phoenix's character is applauded for his bravery, he said, I don't, I don't ask what will happen to me. I just ask what needs to be done. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't ask how it's going to affect me. I'm just what, what's needed in this moment. And then I'm going to do that. And Mrs. Brisby is very of that same cloth. I don't, you know, uh, uh, okay, I need to take down the tractor. I'm going to find a way to take down the tractor. You need me to go. And, and she even says it. She's like, owls eat mice. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, and like this, I can put myself in no more dangerous situation than and going to. What does she owl. say? right before she goes in to that, to the great owl's lair, she says, remember Timothy. Yeah. Remember Timothy. That is. And that's the only note I took. That's the only note I took when I was watching this. I normally, you know me, I love my notes, but yeah, that's, that's all that, that it all comes down to that moment. Really everything she does just remember Timothy. And uh, I think it's also notable that when, when the stone is activated or whatever at the end of the movie, you know, and she picks it up, it hurts her to do it. Mm-hmm. Like it she's in pain. It burns her hands. She's in pain that whole time. And again, back to my mom, you know, my mom's in pain all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She doesn't let that stop her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, it, oh gosh, there's so much. There's so much in this movie and it's like, it's not a long movie. It's a short little like kids movie. And there's so much like underneath it all. It's crazy. Yeah. Go ahead. One of the lines I wrote down is after Nicodemus has 
explained the larger plot sequence scheme at hand and he gives mm-hmm. her the medallion and sort of sends her not sends her but there he's about to escort her out um she says i don't understand but i will do as you say mm. wow mm-hmm. and you sort of get the sense throughout a large portion of the story that Mrs. Brisby very much feels that about herself, that she just doesn't understand, that she perhaps largely underestimates herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that, to bounce off of what you were saying, Reed, I don't understand, mm-hmm. but I will. Mm-hmm. But I will do, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is so, so important when we talk about the mantra of the stone. I don't actually have it written down word for word, but it's, cur- you know, courage of the heart is very rare. The stone um, has a power when it's there, ha- has yeah. a power yeah. when it's there, which is so important then to remember. Cause I, I wrestled with this at the, at the end and it's, it's probably so obvious to somebody who isn't, you know, a dunderhead like me, but <laughs> it's, I remember being almost disappointed for a little bit at the end when she has the stone and all of the power is going forward and it's beautiful, but thinking like, well, she had, you know, she had help. She has this stone that's, you know, providing all of this magic that's allowing this to happen. Of course, they couldn't have done it on their own, but that's when you have to remember and it's really just kind of hitting me in real time as we're talking about this. The stone has a power when it's there, mm-hmm. when the courage is there, which means mm-hmm. that the stone gets its mm, the stone gets its power from her, not yes. the yeah, other exactly. way around. Yes, exactly. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Again, painfully obvious. Painfully no, no, obvious. No, 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 no. I was not intending that at all. You, you, but, until you articulated it quite that way, I don't know that I quite apprehended that. Yeah. Yeah. Because the stone is a, is a, is a, I mean, Jenner gets all wide eyed about it, seeing it, but that stone is nothing more than, I mean, you might as well be Jeremy calling it a sparkly at that point. Right. Like, that, right. That's what it yeah. Is. Because and, they don't go into like, what is the stone? There's no sort of like mm-hmm. lore surrounding the stone. It's just, <laughs> there's this stone. And when someone has true courage, the stone is activated. That's it. Yeah. That's all yeah. the movie does. Yeah. That's beautiful. Like I love that sort of stuff in stories when there's just something that where there's no real explanation to it. It just is. Yeah. 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 And Show me, of, don't tell me. It, well, yeah. exactly. And that's part of what like listen, I know we four are at, you know, varying diff, you know, varying different degrees and places about how we would articulate certain, you know, uh, uh faith elements, certain theological mm-hmm. elements or whatever. Where I'm sitting right now in this moment, in this conversation, there's this thing that I keep, you know, coming back to that it's this moment of like, okay, um, I think of something wicked this way comes when Mm. Halloway is talking with his child and his child is like, am I good? And then he's like, of course you're good. And I'm summarizing and paraphrasing a lot. And then he's like, will that help when the bad things come? And then he says, it'll help. 
And he says, but will it save me? And all he says back to him is, it'll help. Mm-hmm. You know, And then mm-hmm. there's these moments, countless scriptures, uh, where somebody steps forward and, and, and they, they do a thing. The, you know, a, a, a character like, you know, the characters of the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or even Daniel with the lion's den, or all these people, they just step forward and they just say like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to step forward. And then there's this other element. And of course, some people may say God, or some people may say uh, faith, or they, again, they can get real Betty Crocker recipe book about it, which I am actively mm-hmm. trying not to do. And just going back to, in the language of this film, the simplistic beauty of Asia, the way you put it, it's like this stone gets its power from her courage. But when those two things are combined, mountains move. Mm -hmm. And we ourselves, Mm -hmm. as we progress and traverse through, I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works. And I do know that sometimes we step forward in the thing and we're brave and the story doesn't have a happy ending. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes that happens. Nicodemus doesn't make it through the film. Jonathan, yeah. I'll, 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 go, I'll go to a different place. Jonathan Brisby doesn't start the film because his courage cost him his life. Mm. He, yeah. he, before this film begins, is trying to drug Dragon and, and does not survive. So it must be noted and should be noted that, yes, there are times where you do the brave thing, the good thing, the right thing, and yes, and then things go not the way that you would have hoped they would go. But uh-huh. I think it is vital... Asia, you invoked Joseph Campbell earlier. I think it is vital for us to remember in our own interior myth-making to remember that whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it the power of prayer, whether you want to call it uh, a a, a sense of karma, a sense of goodwill in the world, whether you want to call it Christ himself present with you in the moment, courage of the heart is very rare. Something helps. Something has a power when it's there. Something beyond what we can see, hear, know, understand, unpack any of that. Something sometimes has a power that takes it that next step. That I think it's important psychologically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I think it's important for us to remember that there are things which the relationship and the flow between us and them can't be defined, unpacked, theorized, can't be made a recipe of, but there is something that, you know, like Christ talked about the Holy Spirit, and he said, it's like the wind. You don't, you don't know where it's come from or where it's going, mm-hmm. but there are times where in relationship with the divine, miracles happen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for us to remember uh-huh. that miracles, perhaps very rare, but they exist and they they are possible. And I think it's important for us in our own understanding of things to recognize that though we we can't always define when the stone works or when it doesn't, we can't always define, you know, when the, the good guys survive and when they don't, that it's important for us to remember that this this courage and then that I guess what I'm trying to say is that the courage is not met with loneliness, that the courage is not alone. Something responds to the courage. And that's, I think, vital for us to remember wherever we sit in a spectrum of faith or, or philosophy. Yeah, go ahead, Nathan. Reed, you're really calling to mind. And, you know, I started my, uh, you know, speechifying earlier with the idea of this as fantasy and, and how powerful that was to me to the point that even the cat's name is dragon, right? Like yeah. to these, to these beings, they are, everything is at stake. 
right? Yeah. It is apocalyptic uh, to them. Uh-huh. And I love this through line we're identifying of the the will paired with the goodness, right? It's it's mm-hmm. courage. If courage is will, goodness is the partnered element that channels that courage, and it just calls to mind. Uh, uh, forgive, just pointing to all of the the famous fantasy tales here. But one of my f- absolute favorite. God, I wish the architect of these stories would kind of quiet for a while. Uh, but um, one of my favorite scenes in the entirety of the Harry Potter series is um, uh, to the point that I don't have a tattoo, but I thought about getting a tattoo of the phrase. I open at the, I open at the close, which is when Harry is about to go into the forbidden forest, ostensibly to face his demise um, because he has discerned himself. If you've never read these books, they've been out for quite a while. Spoiler alert, discerned himself to be this final Horcrux that must be uh, extinguished in order for Voldemort to lose. Uh, but he opens this um, snitch and uh, inside of it is the, the resurrection stone, right? That he leaves by the wayside. But what comes to him then are the stones, right? In this scenario, his loved ones. And you talk about the will partnering with the, the lens, if we can use that word, right? Mm-hmm. And and it just, I remember the first time I ever read that scene being utterly moved, but he just says mm-hmm. to them, you'll stay with me as a question. And James, mm-hmm. his father says, until the very end. Mm-hmm. And and my God, that scene moves me so deeply. But but it just calls to mind this, this you know, y'all have used Campbell, but myth-making fantasy narrative it's it's excalibur it's it's Mm. the thing required by the hero right the the hero Mm -hmm. is themselves himself or herself the harbinger of the good but has this tool this resource that is what's going to be used to channel that that goodness and i I don't know i just love love you guys love this movie love fantasy storytelling love good overcoming evil blah 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 (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I, so, uh, I want to invite in a second for Asia and Jackson to share any final thoughts. My final thought on it will be, and this is going to seem, mm, okay. So before I say it, there's so many ways this has been, this phrase has been abused and it's so ubiquitous that it is just meaningless in so many different ways. But a film like this reminds me, these are the two words. A film like this reminds me to have faith. And I am not saying, no, I'm not going to call it. A film like this reminds me to have faith because, mm-hmm. because it is easy. I cited uh, in our patron segment that, boy, there are some perspectives out there that are hyper cynical, mm. that are super cynical. That are like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the world is a callous and dreadful place. And uh, any effort at good is going to get chomped up and chewed out, and uh, it really matters more that you are clever and smart, and honestly, your morals don't matter at that point. And so stories like that can make me want to crawl into the corner and cry <laughs> for my decision-making. <laughs> and in as many ways as that, as those two words, have faith, have been cheaply deployed to overshadow pain and to overshadow uh, anger and to make reductive bumper stickers out of 
deeply rooted hurt, pain, struggle, and journey. A film like this earns it and displays with beauty, grace, and power and reminds me to have faith. Um, and I'll cite it as my sort of final statement thematically the, the way the film did, that you know, courage of the heart is very rare, but the stone has a power when it's there, so have faith. And uh, that's that's my final sighting on it. Um, uh, Asia, ladies first. I'm going to go to you. Do you have any final statements on 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 that, or on the film? Anything? Yeah, I think I have two two major thoughts. Um, going back really quick to kind of address a question that you posed, Reed. In mm. does this film sort of hold up in its own merit versus you know? Does it still ring so true to all of us because we had pre-existing affection for it? Right, right. One of the things that I I thought about when I was watching it now was obviously I've I've notated the the very very different perspective that I watch it with as an adult um, and as somebody who wants to have a family. But I remembered very, very deeply what I related to about it when I was a kid. And that was when I was a, when I was very, very little, I had viral pneumonia very mm. seriously. And mm. it was always this sort of, I was too young to really remember having it, but it was always just this sort of lore in my family about the time when Asia almost died of pneumonia. Mm. Wow. And so, I remember having such a strong connection to Timmy as a child mm. watching this movie because I remember mm. that I I didn't remember being sick but I do right. remember the the very strong conviction of knowing that that was me at one point. Yeah. Mm. And even though he's not necessarily a present character in terms of screen time you know, he is the driving force behind the vast majority of everything that happens. Right. right. And that made me feel incredibly special as a child. Mm. Um, to know that a very, a sick child can mean that much to somebody and in doing so can inspire such massive events. Um, so I, I would say that for this movie to have such a poignant impact, on such radically different seasons of the same mm. person's life speaks to mm. its fully fleshed ability to stand on its own two feet. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I'll say, this is not in any way to diminish what was said earlier about Mrs. Brisby's home being a mountain to her, because it mm. certainly is. But... One of the things I deal with the most in my life is feeling deeply, deeply overwhelmed. Um, mm -hmm. Again, like having sort of a diagnosable anxiety situation. Um, it is very easy for many everyday things to feel quite insurmountable to me. But there is this larger component of the rats needing to, you know, shift the, the, the status of almost this kingdom that they've created. Mm -hmm. And that's a very weighty element going on in this film. Mrs. Brisby's only goal was to get her children to safety. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. all she needed to focus on. And the rats were there, you know, essentially they had their own thing going on and they were, they ended up being there to help her in her goal. And that when you really zoom out, it's jarring at times. I know I'm rambling, but I'm, I'm going somewhere mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. When the movie yeah. zooms out sometimes and you see, oh, broad daylight, you would have, you've been underground in these dark, crystalline, magical places. And then the movie will zoom out to a blue sky on a farm and there's a house and all of these very mundane, normal things that we're used to. And you remember that all of this is taking place in somebody's garden, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I just sort of was able to put together in my own thoughts was the smallness of this movie gave me permission to stop trying so hard and that I do not have to move a mountain if God is only asking me to move a sim- cinder block. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the responsibility mm-hmm. of my home is, is, is mine. Mm. And I don't want to minimize how heavy a cinder block can be. But Mrs. Brisby's journey was her children. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. because she was brave in doing that, she affected everything that was going on with Nim. But her journey mm-hmm. was always just about her children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yes. Yeah. Oh, one, absolutely. Yeah. 100 percent i'll uh, 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 a little button on it that's what the film leaves us with so the rats of nim are a literal epilogue afterthought mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're conversing with the children and uh they're, they're like did the, did the rats really leave she said yeah yeah they left and they're like we'll ever see him again and she's like later <laughs> you know like <laughs> it, it's almost as if the film lovingly but brushes them off like yeah 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 later yeah but the kids don't us. interact with the rats at all no, no. It leaves uh-huh. us with, to your point, Asia, it leaves us with her in the safety of her transported home, her children safe, Timmy so better he's eager to get up and play. Yeah. Like she she has she did it. She accomplished it and 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 with vigor. So I I love that take. I, I think that's wonderful. Uh Jackson, do you have any final thoughts? Before we just a couple, yeah, yeah. Well, for one thing, when Asia was talking about like being sick as a child and everybody thought she was going to die, like that happened to me too Mm. when I was very young, and I don't remember it either. But there was a point in my life where my parents were very concerned that I was going to die. I was in the hospital. I was a very sickly sort of child, and uh, weirdly enough, I grew up into an adult who seems to like have the immunity system of. I don't know, a God. I don't get sick anymore. He got it's crazy. Out. Yeah, I, was, I got all my sickness out when I was a kid. Anyway, um, okay, so that was one thing. Uh, I just want to praise the animation in this movie just a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. so gorgeous. And it was made by a Don Bluth and a bunch of guys that he stole from Disney when he left, basically yeah, in a garage. Disney guys. Yeah. <laughs> like they made it on I I mean it had like a 6 or 7 million dollar budget or something like that. So that's not nothing, but it was made, you know, outside the system. It's very yes. defiant in that way. The other thing, we just have to praise Dom DeLuise for a second. <laughs> oh always, man. Always and forever. 
the Don. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, he's, he's so great. great. He's so great. And of course, he was one of Don Bluth's guys. He also played Tiger the Cat mm-hmm. in American Tale. Yeah. And he's just, there's something very special about his vocal performance. Uh, and I remember listening to something where they were, I was listening to another podcast about this movie just to get some other thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. I think they told a story where uh, Dom DeLuise was just like, sometimes you just say things in the recording booth and there it is in the movie. <laughs> 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 I think that's just lovely. Like he was just such a personality that he would just ad lib stuff. And, and this is sometimes you just say things and they end up in the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is 10 years before like Robin Williams in Aladdin and right. Dom DeLuise yeah. is giving a performance that has a very similar kind of energy to it. And people don't yeah, talk about him anymore, but he's, he was brilliant. He was so funny. He was wonderful. And such a wonderful voice too. You know? Yeah. He was, he no was wonderful. Like I love that character. I love Jeremy. I just love how and charming he's not, he is. He's, yeah. He's not ultimately very consequential to the plot of the film. Like he tries nope. and mm-hmm. always fails. Yeah. And uh, there's something about, I feel like if I am any character in this movie, that's me. I'm Jeremy the Crow. <laughs> I'm, the, you know, I mean, not for nothing. He gets her to the owl. Not for nothing. He gets her to the owl. I and think. He, I think he finds a yeah. He finds a lady friend by the end. I'm, I still don't. I have love one, that. But, you know. <laughs> I also think. I also think he helps. He gives Mrs. Br- I don't. I don't know how to word this. Even though M- Mrs. Brisby is very busy, and it's very obvious that you know there are moments in which Jeremy's presence is less or more wanted than others. I I think that he provides a certain level of comfort to her, even Mm -hmm. when she doesn't necessarily have time to acknowledge it in that he is, he's, he's, she's a widow and it's nice to have somebody pay attention to her and, and, and just be, I don't know, sort of weirdly enamored by her. Uh, I just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's he's so affable and he's so sweet. And I, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're you're praising his vocal uh, talents there. Like, cracks me up every single time where he's like, "Cause I'm allergic to cows." <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like, he, he just spreads it. <laughs> like he's just he's hysterical. He is. Oh man, Dom DeLuise is great. And and I I would echo exactly what you said about the animation too. I'm stunned by just like I love I love this look. Good god, I love this look. Like yeah. just yeah, the the way this animation flows, the way every intricate little rope as they're descending through the well, every yeah. rope is flowing so in its much own detail. rhythm. Just, yeah. yeah, it's just it's it, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Well, Listeners don't know how late it is for for each of us. Um, no. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be respectful of everybody's time and and just uh, first of all, just thank you so so very much. We're about to pivot to the fog meter and bring it all home. Thank you so much for sharing your heart, sharing your thoughts with this film. So uh, the fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and God, where we rate these films on their scares and their substance. Uh, I'm going to change things up a little bit. Normally we go to our guests first, but I'm going to, Nathan, you haven't spoken in a while. I'm going to go to you first for fear. So, so what is your measurement for the secret of NIM directed by Don Bluth on fear? Um, I want to, before I do that, just echo and, and just express so much gratitude for all of you who are right now um, in this conversation to those who are listening and just, I'm always a bit uh, stunned 
by what these five years have wrought and people's, you know, Reed and I are used to boohooing on each other <laughs> previous to recording it for the masses, uh, but just always kind of uh, stunned and slack jawed by the capacity to be uh, vulnerable and, and, and open and share in the ways that tends to transpire here, which is, which is not just a testament to the art we discuss, but to those in the discussion as well. So just, just Amen. wanting to articulate that, um, the fog meter, wherein, uh, fear and God are, are measured, uh, zero to 10. So clearly this is a bit abnormal of a film for our traditional fare. And by virtue of that feels like it would beg for a curve, but I want to, part of my desire and appreciation for Reed permitting me to go for first is I want to give permission to the three of you to go this direction. If your heart desires that, you know, five plus years ago, I, I distinctly remember Reed and I articulating in those halcyon days of a much more timid version of me on a mic, uh, mm-hmm. which is hysterical to think about, um, <laughs> trying to define what we meant by fear and, 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 and what comes to mind in that definition is, is awe, right? It's, it's, Hmm. it's, uh, just almost a, a silence invoked by radiance. Uh, and for me personally, I, you know, Reed, you've already quoted the village once. I'll do it again, that the world moves for love. Um, and that's what happens in this film. And, and, remarkably though it happens to the characters within the film it also at least for me personally and i think some of you would echo happens to me the viewer and so from the standpoint and by that definition of fear i'm going to happily assign a 10 to this mm. film for me personally amen um, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll come to a, i'll come to a guess jackson why don't you find your way into the fear here yeah i i don't really know what sort of metric to use so i'm sure. going to use the metric of trying to access the kid in me mm. watching this like movie. It. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, this movie, like I said, it was, it's, it's dangerous. You know, <laughs> it's when you're a kid watching these images, like it's very, it's, it's unsettling, but just kind of, it invites you in at the same time. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a 10 too. I'm feeling generous. 10 asia uh, asia asia what would you yeah. say asia i i would say that for the like by whatever metric i use whether that be as a child or as an adult this was such an arresting film as a kid and i would honestly say quite genuinely it was actually a lot scarier to watch as, as an adult because <laughs> it it forces you to deal with a lot more existential real world grown up um problems it forced me to think you know what would i do if if something happened to my husband that is just like Mm. that's wow i don't want to be thinking about that now um but it's it's a 10 it's a 10 (laughs) quite genuinely y'all uh at least for fear it's happening it's 10 for me so it's because 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 here's the thing like any any metric similar to what asia just said any metric i would assign to it like the electricity in my heart, mind, and imagination mm-hmm. as I was watching this and as I was realizing and recognizing like, holy cow, the stakes of this film and the and the 
what this film like I, I I alluded to it earlier like I think this film is accessible to kids but not in one scene does it ever talk down to them mm-hmm. it just displays the story and and is profound in its doing so and does not shy away I, I mean I said it uh, somewhat jokingly most of the time in a in a Disney movie when the villain dies he dies by falling a far distance like that's yeah. that's what he does that's that's, that's what he does but uh, uh, Daddy, is he dead well he fell a far distance <laughs> he fell so, I mean know. I think you know he falls out of frame you're like we're just gonna do it but, but Jenner straight up stabbed by Justin and then when Jenner is about to do the thing then the guy from below is like throws the knife at him before he does I was like this is dark <laughs> like yeah. it's super dark and that owl scene, no, yeah, 10. 10 on fear. <laughs> and listen, feel no obligation. You be you. We want you, we want honesty and sincerity here. But y'all, I'm giving it a 10 for 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 the God meter as well, because the way what this film was interested in and was about washed over me was so effortless. I forget which one of us said that before, but it was so effortless and it was just lovely and rich and beautiful. And I cannot wait, because he has a as a this recording has not yet seen it. I can't wait to share this film with my son and talk about it. And I just, mm. I love it. So, so it's a, it's a 10 for me as well. Uh, we'll go in reverse order as is our cadence. So Asia, I'm coming to you next. What do you, what do you give it for the God meter? Oh, abs- again, absolutely a 10. This, this movie gave me, I'm getting in my feelings again. <laughs> this movie gave me hope. Again, mm-hmm. as as somebody who struggles with anxiety around the things that I want most, one of my most enjoyable things uh, that I experienced while watching it was imagining someday watching it with, um, you know, my own little ones. And mm. this movie prompted me to, you know, be a brisby when I can be and that it's all going to be okay. So yeah, if it can do that, it's definitely a 10. Mm, that's awesome. Jackson coming to you next brother. I'm wondering if we're really going to do this. <laughs> oh man. Are we gonna, I, I, I think we're about to do this. Cause I kind of want to give it a 10. I think it's just so lovely. Like, I, I don't even know, I don't know how much of it is what I'm bringing to it and what's coming out of this in this conversation. I don't Fair. know, but there is, there is something in this movie that has for almost my whole life just spoken to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I can't not give it a 10. I, I don't even know. Kind of indescribable a little bit. Yeah. You know, because it's a it's a kid's movie ultimately. That's what it is. It's sort of broad in a lot of ways, but I don't care. Oh man. Ten. Mm. Yeah. I, I <laughs> yes. hear you. All right. Nathan, the the mantle has Let's been see if Nathan ruins it. <laughs> Nathan's like two <laughs> on the <laughs> All right, Nathan, what you got for us on the God meter? How often I've longed to gather your children like a hen. Mm. A mother hen, her brood safe under her wings. If if any movie deserves a 10 for the God factor, it is this. And mm-hmm. let me not break that circuit. Mm. Y'all, this is the easy, easiest math I've ever had to do. We give it an unqualified <laughs> 10 on the fog meter. Uh, which Has any movie ever thing. gotten a full 10? You know, I, Beckley's going to have to call me on this. I think it has yeah. happened Steve, before, but know. I can't. 
Exactly. But I cannot remember <laughs> which ones have. It is uh, a 10 on the fog meter is very rare, but beauty exists when it's there. So um, that's so. Um, but um, but uh, I think it's fair to say, I mean, we could go to the round robin, but I think it's fair to say we all, I think, enthusiastically recommend this film. Am I being pretentious to to presume that? Correct. No. No, we, I don't recommend it. I give it to you, but I don't recommend <laughs> it. No, but, but pass. It's uh, hard, hard pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is, this is a, uh, you know, I know the word keeps coming up, but this is a rare film. This is a special film. Yep. If for some reason you have not seen it and you're like, what's all the fuss about the secret of Nim? Oh my gosh, check it out. Um, it's, <laughs> it's such a wonderful film. Um, you know, readily accessible at digital streaming outlets everywhere. Um, we've said it in a multitude of ways and a number of times, Asia Jackson, it's, it's late for all of us. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for just bringing a game of heart and soul and spirit and mind to this conversation. Thank you for sharing of yourselves. It's no small thing to share of yourselves in any capacity. And, uh, and I'm just uh, echo what Nathan said earlier, grateful for that. Nathan, so thankful for you as always to be able to have these kinds of conversations. Listeners, we are grateful for you. I know this is the passive thing that many podcasters say, but uh, I really feel like in, in, you know, hopefully you hear it when we, when we speak it, that we really mean it. Thank you for listening to us and sharing of yourself and of your time when we have these conversations. Um, and so, yeah, this was a really special one. I think one, there's going to need to be a warning label on this episode. <laughs> oh man. No, it's, <laughs> it's okay. Driving, driving, just like, oh, man, just don't you pull over and, and just, and just let it wash over you. Um, so next week we're going to be doing something. It's still part of hashtag scare tunes, something kind of cool that I'm, that I'm kind of excited about. As we've uh, mentioned before, the content this year is being selected by our patrons and we're, and we've done a version of this before when we uh, last year with what scares us and what saves us with particular curation. Um, but we're dipping our toes in that water. So I'm just going to go ahead and shout it out. This next week's episode brought to you specifically by one Mr. Steve Beckley. So love you, Steve. And uh, next week we are going to be talking about, so, you know, maybe specific patron patron curation will become something of more regular recurrence. We'll see. But next (laughs) week as part of hashtag scare tunes, Steve Beckley uh, invited us uh, to encounter a film called demon city Sinjuku, which is available at the moment on Hmm. Amazon prime. It is a uh, late eighties. Basically Beckley accuses of getting soft. And so he decided to- <laughs> he's like, Here you wait go. a minute, wait a minute. So uh, very excited. It's actually a film that I have not seen as of this recording. And so I'm very excited to see it um, and, and curious to see it. So, uh, so yeah. So next week, uh, again, it's, it's as of this recording, readily available on Amazon prime demon city, Sinjuku. We will be joined by all things, you know, lining up. We'll be joined by Steve Beckley to discuss, that film and uh again thank you so much asia and jackson for being here with us oh and i almost forgot about episodes three and four of castlevania season two for the patrons and (laughs) as we say on every episode the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to truly fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing we love you all thank you so much we'll see you next week Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. 
If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.